Hello, welcome back to How to PhD, episode number 24. This week, we're going to be talking about how to be a supervisor and why that's something that's very useful to get into during your PhD. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Aaron and I'm joined as ever by my co-host Julia. Hi. And this week we are talking about how to be a supervisor. Now, interestingly, you might think that during your PhD, this is something you might not want to get involved with because you're the one who should be supervised, right? But actually for me, and we both had a level of, uh, or an opportunity to do a bit of supervision in our PhDs, and I had to supervise a master's student, and I found that actually it gave me a lot of confidence in my own abilities because I think having to apply what you've been taught from your supervisor on how to project manage and how to kind of navigate your PhD, being able to apply that in teaching another student, I think is really, it gave me a lot of confidence and kind of made me think, actually, I, I do know what I'm doing. And I think it's, it's a huge benefit if you have that opportunity to get involved in supervising a student. It doesn't have to be the first supervisor. You could be just second or third, but just having that opportunity, I think can be hugely beneficial. Yeah, I agree. It's a great experience. Um, I think um, in my PhD, I had two medical students that were supporting my systematic review that I was conducting and I was supporting them or supervising them on a day-to-day basis. And yeah, I think it was a great um, learning experience um, and yeah, helped me in teaching then later in my role as research fellow as well. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in this week's episode, we've got five key sections and we're going to be starting with how do you go about developing your own teaching philosophy? So let's talk about developing your teaching philosophy. So essentially uh, a teaching philosophy is a very fancy way of saying how are you going to go about teaching and supervising? Yes and I think we learned that in the teaching qualification that we both did and so we had to think about um, how we want to teach in the future or and um so initially i think i um was having this teaching philosophy saying like um supervise i want to supervise how i would like to be supervised um but i think actually um in the end i came to that conclusion that that is not good enough because i just realized with time that different people work in very different ways and what works best for me might not necessarily work best for for others and for my students so i kind of went away from this um um, idea of supervising others like i would like to be supervised um and came up with that image of a of a chef um that is cooking (laughs) um and yeah I, i think i keep some of my ingredients the same or the ones that i would use but i would try to tailor to the taste of my students if that makes sense um yeah so um if you have a friend that is vegetarian you would probably not make a meat dish for example right and and so the same just be to be flexible and um to mix up the recipe um every, every single time and i think very important also to reflect on um why a recipe turned out not to be so so good right then to ask yourself like why why did it not turn out well what went wrong and then to adapt your recipe in the future yeah and a quick question on that do you think a teaching philosophy should be like a formalized document or do you think it's something that the student 
or you know PhD candidates should probably just think through it right and just kind of mm. be aware of what they want from their teaching philosophy yeah and I think as I said I think it can develop over time you might have one idea and then you start teaching and then it actually changes so I think the key thing is to take time to reflect about yourself about the style that you want to yeah and, and that you want to teach I think that's really the key thing to take them time and um, reflect on everything yeah. whether you want to formalize that in a note or uh, maybe a picture or I think that's what we did in the quali teaching qualification I found that that's quite right, nice yeah. um, so I was drawing my little chef <laughs> in the kitchen that's right I think um, there's yeah many different ways but yeah. I think the first step and I think this is true for a lot of the things in the PhD but I think the first step is really to just be aware of how you want to teach that and and how you want to teach and, and supervise your student so once you have that teaching philosophy a lot of the things that we're going to talk about next kind of fit a really quite closely into that um, and what comes next is very much related which is all about supervision agreement so let's talk about what we're calling the supervision agreement now essentially this is effectively julia a way of kind of um, communicating clearly exactly what you expect from your student well yes but i think it should be done by both sides or agreed on from yeah. both sides because okay. exactly yeah that links back to the teaching philosophy that i think if i just impose something on a student of course there will be some stuff that are set basically or um, you you can't make all the dreams of the student maybe true but i think it's really important to just um have a talk or write down like um to just avoid any miscommunication um, and, and conflicts by just agreeing at the beginning of your supervision or your time as a supervisor um, to, to organize basically how, how you're going to work together. Yeah, and I think um, this works as you absolutely that key point that this works both ways. And also, you know, as a side point for your own supervisors, this is really an important process as well. Um, so, for example, so one of the things that you could have in this meet, uh, supervision agreement is understanding how you're going to meet, right? Mm -hmm. How regularly you're going to meet, whether you're going to meet face to face or online, for how long, um, even really simple things like who's going to initiate the meetings who's going to send the calendar invite mm. um i think getting these things just out in the open um for your student i think is so so important mm. um because yeah. it puts them at ease um and also it clearly kind of lays out what you expect from them yeah and i remember so the first time i was supervising um those medical students who helped me on the project i just assumed the best way and that was before COVID times as well is to meet face to face like every single time or like be together physically like in one room because mm, then we can just yeah. um check if there's any questions and that went really wrong <laughs> my students were not happy with that at all they said no what why do you have to come in every day that doesn't make sense um i have to commute a long time and um so that was the first time i realized it's really important to consider their situation as well mm, yeah. um and um so we then found an arrangement um by talking about like how we're going to do it and it worked really well so i think be open to to your students suggestion as, as well yeah and i think what really closely links to this kind of idea of setting those expectations around meetings is also around communication right and uh what are the best ways to communicate and also you know you mentioned this kind of face-to-face -face didn't quite work out so mm -hmm. then how do you do it with over email or teams chat or do you do it over the phone um whether you have a particular time that's best to communicate as well getting that across to the student and and just setting some hours mm -hmm. to say look you can 
if you Best reach me, me yeah, if you reach me at these times, then I will I will be ready to respond yeah, super quickly. Yeah, because again, I think that just avoids miscommunication. At the moment, I'm actually working with um, two research assistants as well that I'm supervising, um, and um, I, I'm not currently working on certain days. And I think if they didn't know that, then they might just wonder why is she not replying. Yeah. If you just communicate that, um, it just avoids. It's like, really simple thing situation. that yeah. you can do to yeah. kind of prevent any kind of complexities arising and of course uh i think also so important i think this is a really key tip is is a kind of expectation on how fast you'll reply to emails and we were talking to a friend of ours yesterday who mentioned that um that uh, that they had emailed their supervisor but hadn't received a response in in mm. a couple of days and they were kind of questioning whether they were they were the supervisor was annoyed at them so that's just it's just something that can be easily rectified Mm. by just setting an expectation of how quickly you reply to emails and i think by writing it down like a supervision agreement you also have it written down for both sides so if you then say oh you said in your agreement that you would reply within i don't know let's say say three days or something you didn't then you have something to hold them on on like maybe renegotiate yeah, it it's about, it's about accountability yeah accountability right? yeah. that's the word I was um, looking for yeah and so some other things to consider in this supervision agreement for, for your student are things like you know any periods of non-availability you know whether you have annual leave planned or any holidays um, but also in terms of feedback provision right so we mentioned about how fast you'll reply to emails but also specifically around feedback right because that takes a little bit more time from the supervisor's perspective um, so for example that you'll turn around feedback in 10 days or um, and also around how that feedback is provided right whether you're going to do word tracked changes or whether it's just going to be a summary in an email uh, or even like a voice note yeah right? i think that was um so i in the teaching qualification i read more about audio feedback and apparently that's very well perceived from some students as well that they really like you just talking through everything uh, which i thought was really interesting i've never done that but uh, no, yeah, yeah i would be curious I, I to explore a, that more, a really actually. good idea and yeah. perhaps worth uh you know some of the listeners can try this out <laughs> if they are supervising students but try giving a bit of audio feedback as well um and i think the key thing about this supervision agreement is then also what you expect in terms of the responsibility of the student right mm-hmm. so how long in advance should they let you know that they have something coming you know should mm-hmm. they tell you okay um in a week's time i'm going to send you this document so that you can have time to set aside so again, again i think all of this stuff and, and similar with the teaching philosophy so just about bringing these things that often people don't like to talk about this stuff because it feels a bit kind of it's not exactly research right it's not it's not part of your phd but it's mm. a really important project management yeah. part um, which is so crucial to get right because i think sometimes it just happens that you work together with people who have the kind of same working style as you have and then it automatically all works so you wouldn't have to do that maybe that seems like um like it, you're writing down something obvious but i think sometimes people who who just work in different ways um, come together and I think that often then create conflicts where there don't need to be any conflicts I think it's just like respecting that other people work in different ways and I think yeah I really had to get my head around that because I think okay I need to I have very certain times that I work in or a way how I communicate and surely that must be Mm -hmm. how other people think about it too but um, other people can be as successful more successful in very different um styles of of working Um, for example I'm someone who likes to start or finish um, quite in advance before a deadline 
I don't leave things to the last, very last minute. Yeah. But other people do, and they do need that or like that pressure as well, and get it done, do and a it brilliant job, them, yeah. exactly. So and, and I think yeah. yeah, just knowing that that's how the other person works, and and that's what you expect, or mm. um, how you, if you expect it to be earlier, can just alleviate so many of those problems. So it's a really important thing that when you are getting involved in this kind of thing of supervising student set out a supervision agreement just get it written down in a document and that can save a lot of trouble uh, and hopefully prevent a lot of trouble in the future so once you set out your supervisor supervision agreement you then need to kind of be able to track what's happening every time you meet uh, and so that's our next tip is all around creating a supervision record sheet So let's talk about creating a supervision record sheet. So essentially, um, it's very much what it says on the tin, right? This is, will be a kind of summary document, uh, perhaps a page or two pages at max, um, which basically records what happened in the meeting, right? And it's very important, to, I think, to have a kind of very clear structure to this kind of document, um, which is good for yourself as the supervisor, but also which you can send to the student to help summarize uh, and ensure that all the kind of stuff that you expect from the next meeting uh, is very clearly actioned and, and set out. Um, so some basic practical things, Julia, I guess, having like the time of date and the meeting, right? And the name of the student is kind mm. of a basic, basic place to start. Um, but there are also some other bits of content which are important as well to include. Yeah, um, but just I think generally before you start or filling out the form, maybe just I think just it's always good practice to just ask your student how they're doing, like when you when you meet up um, and also how they perceive the workload. And I think that's, this could go into the supervision record sheet, for example, assume that it was too much, I couldn't get it all done. Um, or if it's the other way around, if they no, it worked perfectly, uh, I had enough time to get everything done. Again, if you record it then, um, I think it helps again with accountability that later on, like if something goes wrong, I don't know, worst case student gets a bad mark and that makes you responsible for that. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if that happens, you can say, look, you, you told me the workload was fine. Like, why did that con not come up earlier? Yeah, I think that's actually a really interesting point that really differentiates this from, say, like a meeting minutes or something mm. where often in minutes you don't capture that kind of the softer side, which mm. is around how they're doing and how they perceive the work and, and all that. Um, but actually capturing that in this is, is a really valuable thing because you're also recording the kind of emotional state of the student, yeah. which is really important. And I think especially if you're new to supervising and teaching, this can give you again a bit of reassurance that you've mm, documented yeah. down the progress and then you can also observe over weeks how the collaboration is working or the supervision is working. Um, and so, yeah, again, just helps you get a little bit of reassurance. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, the key thing, once you've summarized um, this sort of historical stuff or kind of stuff that's happened in the past, is also then to agree the actions of what's going to happen next mm. right and and again what the kind of timelines are for that set clear objectives what are the deadlines um, and of course then tied to that is when the next supervision meeting is going mm. to be and I think again it's it's a very very simple practical tip right to create essentially a summary document but by doing that and by sending it to the student after the meeting I think you you set such a good relationship and such and I guess everything should be based on transparency and just being open to mm. your student uh, and I think if you do this I think this is the the most open yeah. and, and transparent you can be and you can also have a prompt on it to just like remind yourself to ask whether the student have 
have any questions or any concerns and um, also record that in the in this in this summary yeah, as well and clarify that so that um yeah you don't forget to just like yeah always ask how they're doing always ask if they have questions um, and yeah write down any points that were discussed and clarified in in that meeting exactly so once you've, uh, so I think we've covered a lot of the stuff in terms of kind of meeting with students and the, the sort of project yeah. project management side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we alluded to earlier in the show, one of the biggest parts of being a supervisor is of course, giving feedback. And we're gonna talk about that next. So let's talk about how to give feedback. Now, um, I guess one of the most common ways of giving feedback and certainly the one that really jumps to mind is written feedback right yeah and i think there you should uh, stick to the agreed timeline before so if you said you'll turn around in 10 days then do it and if you don't manage to do it for whatever reason sometimes life just gets into the way then let them know as soon as you um, know so that they can plan ahead and um, i think it's nice practice to highlight the good bits but also say why they are good so often i think um, and especially i guess because a lot of supervisors don't have a lot of time, they either don't give any good feedback or positive feedback or just say, oh, this is good. Mm, But uh, I think it's nice if you have time to also say why it's really good. Um, For example, they gave great justification or the structure is nice. I think be as specific as you can because that can help the student most to understand why you like something, why you don't like something. And then I think where there are improvements needed, um, I think... Oh, no. Or I mean, where you see that the student is improving. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, then to highlight that as well, because um, sometimes um, in a second draft, you can see that the student took really your feedback on board and um, kind of um, improved on that. And I think it's really good to highlight that what is better than before. Yeah. And I think that's, again, um, and we talked a little bit about this in previous episodes when it when we sort of looked at this from the other perspective of uh, working with a supervisor, right? And uh, some supervisors, as you say, might just highlight what's wrong with the document and or, you know, where things can be improved and they don't highlight these things. And now I guess it's not about sort of highlighting every single amazing good thing and, and kind of the feedback gets lost, but it's about finding that balance. And I think no, particularly... perceived as patronizing if you say, oh, yeah, well done. Absolutely, written. yeah. You don't want yeah, to patronize. So absolutely no, not. That's yeah. not what I mean. But, yeah. but uh, yeah, as you say, highlight improvements and kind of say hey look actually yeah you know I said that this wasn't you know this this sentence needed improving and now it's much better that that can do so much for a student's confidence yeah yeah. and Mm. that key thing around giving uh, that feedback around why because you're then giving the student to that opportunity to learn and grow and then the next time that that's something that you won't need to give feedback Mm. on because they probably will be able to fix that themselves Um, but of course you will need to occasionally make comments like that you know where it's what we would call maybe not perhaps not negative but sort of corrective feedback mm-hmm. right where you need something needs improvement um, and I think the key thing there is say what needs improving and do it in a way that's concise um, and polite right you I think often you can see like some comments that are left on papers and things are like are really quite aggressive on peer and, reviews, on yeah, peer reviews yeah. are like really rude sometimes so just being polite is always a good thing in in all contexts right Uh, but be concise be polite um, and specific as possible so Mm -hmm. don't just say this sentence is no good 
you can say, I think this is lacking a bit of justification, or I think this needs an extra paper, or I think more detail is needed on this particular method. Um, and I think giving feedback in that way is giving the opportunity to that student um, to really improve. And I think, again, if you reflect on, you know, what's the best bits of supervision feedback that you get in your PhD, um, and think about, you know, how you can how you can pass that on to your student. Mm. I also just remember that um, I was told when I had like a session on giving feedback that um, you should try to avoid saying for example um, your draft is very good but because then the student will forget mm. this very good and will only focus on what comes after the but so maybe to like separate it into like um, really pointing giving time to point out what was good and then like in another section basically give the other stuff because we this but like yeah like, yeah i think i should do that a lot <laughs> this is i'm actually learning something new now <laughs> so that's really yeah i guess you're sort of yeah, you do that yeah, all the time i think but yeah it sort of negates can. the whole point of yeah, that first positive yeah. bit right if you mm. have that but there mm. um yeah no that's, i'm gonna take that away <laughs> from this episode um exactly so how oh, you so blown away i know yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost that's right teaching philosophy is like <laughs> it's been changing. turned on its head All right um so that's written feedback um and i think a lot of these things also apply to oral feedback as well right yeah i think you do it in the same kind of way um maybe the one thing to add um also in supervision is that you um if you for example notice something has changed um with your student um maybe the work was not as good as it was before or then to point it out in a way that you first say what you noticed so i noticed that recently you have been like i don't know less responsive and then um yeah say how it makes you feel or what your impression is from that so i have the feeling that um maybe um, you're not as productive recently and I was wondering why that is and then say what you would like to change so um, I'm wondering whether we could like arrange something or how how can you support mm. the student in, in that way yes yeah yeah exactly and I think this really links to this final part about supervision which is around if you have concerns for your student and I think this is increasingly now recognized as a really important part of the the supervision role is to not only supervise in terms of their the, the, the student's PhD and the kind of academic side and the project management side, but also to keep an eye on their mental health and to ensure that that's okay. Now, that doesn't mean that you act as their kind of counsellor or therapist, no, but no. you you know, ensure that you're aware of those departments at the university who can help. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you can be, you are that first point of contact. So if you can kind of be in tune with that and, and ensuring that the student's okay, um, then potentially you'll be able to forward them on to someone who can help before things get serious. So I think the ways you can do this is really just to also ask your student right about their mental health. Mm, yeah, I think asking them whether everything is okay, whether they feel they need support, whether you can support them in a way, and if not, if they would like to get any um, additional support or from outside. Um, I mean, sometimes stuff can happen in our lives where we do need extra support um, and just to, yeah, keep an eye out for that. And yeah, having systems in place, so I think just informing yourself if you're working in university, there will hopefully be some um, well-being support or something that you can um, get in touch with also if you're I think worried about a student that you can reach out to them and say I observed mm. this should yeah. I do I need to um, to um, yeah contact someone about that or not I think just to give you peace of mind whether any action is needed that you don't make the decision all by yourself because I think that can be quite daunting if you're 
especially if you're um, new and supervising and teaching, you can feel a bit alone and responsible. I think it's better to check in with someone who has experienced rather than um, regretting um, yeah. in this case that, that you should have maybe done something. It's absolutely true. So hopefully that's given you a lot of different, um, some practical things to consider when you're supervising students and an idea of how the value of supervising students can be for your own PhD um, and also given you some guidance on how you can actually manage those kind of meetings when you're face to face or perhaps over teams, how to manage those and get the best from those meetings with your students. So before we end the show this week, we want to give another shout out to our How to PhD one-to-one service. So if you need any help with getting extra supervision for your PhD or you need a bit of feedback on some work or you want to talk to us in more detail about any of the stuff we've talked about in any of our episodes, you can now sign up to have a one-to-one session with directly with either myself or Julia and we're offering a free 30-minute trial session uh, to get things going of which we've had a few students now sign up to that and we've had some really interesting talks you can find all the details over at howtophd.show as well as how you can book in to your free trial session so do check that out huge shout out also to our supporters over on buy me a coffee and and those who have left really more inspiring reviews over on uh, apple Podcasts. it's really incredible how generous our listeners are um if you're able to support the show then we do appreciate all of the support and also any reviews that you can leave over on apple Podcasts. and of course do share this with any other students that you work with or anyone else who you think could benefit from this uh, please do share it with them and of course get in touch with us over on email contact at how to phd show and twitter and instagram at how to phd show and as always thanks to jobs.ac.uk for continuing to share our show uh, lots of resources there um, particularly a lot of their kind of vlogs and a lot of their blogs are covering a lot of aspects of phd life uh, so a lot of good resources over on jobs.ac.uk as well as being a fantastic repository for finding all of your future uh, employment opportunities so next week julia what are we covering so we'll be talking about how you can build your academic network. Um, so hopefully we can help you, as, whether you are at the beginning of your PhD or later onwards, how you can expand um, and yeah, master networking. Yeah, it's a really important skill. So hope you all have a lovely week and we will see you all next time. Bye.